Hi, this is Alan Olson, and welcome to American Dreams. My guest today is Mark Gagne. Welcome to today's show, Mark. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate being a guest on your show. So, Mark, for the listeners, can you give us your background of how you got to where you are today? Sure. I uh, I'm the product of a, a mother and a father who were healthcare entrepreneurs, but they were clinicians. Uh, so my dad was a orthopedic sports medicine physical therapist, and my mom was a cardiac rehabilitation nurse. Um, but they were not your traditional clinicians. In other words, not working in big hospital systems. That's where they started, but then ultimately went out and created their own outpatient physical therapy management business, um, starting it from the ground up. And uh, yeah, I, when I got out of school, I had a chance to go work for them. And so uh, I started out in the accounting and finance function, learned how to uh, actually run a provider practice, a clinical practice, not run it from the clinical perspective, but from a business perspective. And you can imagine almost every conversation I ever had with my mom and dad around the dinner table uh, were, uh, were, were about their business. And I, I wasn't scientifically inclined, um, but I was mathematically and business inclined. And I liked the business of healthcare. Um, so, uh, like I said, I went to work for them. I, um, helped them actually, uh, retire. They sold their company after about five years of working uh, with them. And then I went to go work for a number of insurance carriers, uh, names you'd be familiar with blue cross, blue shield, uh, Cigna healthcare and Tufts health plan out here, um, in the Northeast, uh, in the Boston area. Uh, I actually went and worked for a uh, consumer driven health insurance company startup. It was a company based out of Johannesburg, South Africa. They're actually the, the founders. Most people don't know this, but they're the, the founders of, uh, of what we now call health savings accounts. Um, managed care didn't work in the country of South Africa, but, but, uh, but consumerism definitely did work. So I actually helped start a, a, an insurance company. That was a fun ride. And then when I landed here in Boston, uh, through a combination of a joint venture of the company I was working for, for called Destiny Health and Tufts Health Plan had here in Boston, I met my now business partner, Jennifer Borslow. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet her, but if not, you will. She's recently joined, uh, the free zone. Um, so Jennifer uh, had founded an insurance agency uh, 20 years before she and I became the best of friends. Um, she tried very hard for three years to get me to uh, leave the corporate structure and uh, join her in the entrepreneurial uh, world, which I really wanted to go back to, Alan, because that's where my roots were. I really wasn't a corporate guy. Um, I'd last for a couple of years in a place and then just have to move on because, you know, people don't think like we do. Uh, so... Uh, make a long story even longer, uh, Jennifer and I became business partners in 2005. And for the last uh, 18 years, we've um, uh, almost 10, si and 10 times the size of our, our insurance and brokerage consulting firm called Borslow Insurance. And then about seven, almost eight years ago, I founded a program called Captivated Health, which gives middle market employers, you know, most people may not know this, your listeners might not, but Roughly uh, 180 million Americans get their insurance from their employer. And uh, a big segment of that, about 50 million people are in that employer market, about 50 to 500 employees. Uh, they typically are overcharged uh, for the health insurance that they buy in the marketplace. So what we did is we helped them create their own insurance company. And then in years in which they have good years or when they educate their employees, they actually spend less money and everybody gets higher, higher healthcare quality at a lower price point enables them to save for future years of, of healthcare expenses. So that's the shortest way I can tell you my story about how I got to where I am. 
I'm not a traditional insurance broker. That's what everybody, you know, you have a broker box in your head. Uh, that's where you'd put me because um, that's how I'm paid for what I do. But um, I really have a 360 degree of healthcare that gives me a unique perspective on, on how we can really make it better and more affordable for people. So the healthcare industry as a whole has been transforming and uh, where you started versus where it is today is much different. Where do you see things going? So the future of healthcare, I believe, will it already is being digitized, but uh, to the extent that, you know, we can do more of that, there is going to be more of that. If you look at telehealth as an example, uh, pre-pandemic, uh, pre it was in the single digits relative to to take up percentages across the industry. And now it's hovering around the mid to high, maybe even low fifties, mid to high forties, low fifties in terms of engagement rate. So where people don't actually even have to go to a physician's office to get the care in many cases that they need, they can just do uh, something remotely online. I see uh, the advent of technology actually changing the way we treat. Um, uh, we move from sick care uh, to healthcare. We actually can prevent things from happening in the future. And frankly, I think there'll always be a place for insurance, but not the way it's been designed today, where it's almost like prepaid healthcare, as opposed to um, really doing something about the way in which we all feel from a health perspective to reduce the need for healthcare services uh, and to prevent things that are otherwise preventable. Now, how long is it going to take us uh, to get there? Uh, it's hard for me to say, um, but, but technology is going to continue to be uh, an integral part of how we're going to improve the quality of people of healthcare people are getting. And now because of the transparency law from the last administration, uh, that's now coming into effect, you and I are actually going to have access to quality and price information to make informed choices. So I also think that's a game changer because once we see it, we can measure it. Once we measure it, we can improve it. And once we have technologists apply technology, uh, to the, to, to all that data to make it actionable information. I think we actually have the beginnings of a true consumer market uh, where people will be able to get the things that they need for their healthcare and for their family. As the baby boomers uh, retire from the workforce, we're losing the funding vehicle of the Medicare. Uh, in fact, the most recent tax act had a good por uh, percentage of the funds uh, in the act going to fund Medicare. What, what do you see the future of that? And, and for those people who have been paying all their life, uh, should they expect it to be there when they need it? For Medicare? Um, I think the short answer to that is they have to depend on it. Uh, how we ultimately pay for it, I think has to change. And, and what I, what do I mean by that? Um, if you look at Medicare reimbursement, um, as a clinician, uh, it is the lowest reimbursement level uh, that uh, uh, that that a provider can take for the care that they receive. On average, Medicare pays about sixty cents for a dollar of healthcare, and in turn, the private market, this the fully the, the market that I talked about before, the one hundred eighty million people, they are paying higher rates of reimbursement uh, without even knowing it because they're privately insured and. You know, in many cases, providers are getting five and 10 times the amount that Medicare pays for the exact same procedure. So that's a cost shift, Alan. That's a cost shift that benefits Medicare. But the reality is, to your point, as more baby boomers continue to retire, there's going to be less and less uh, people on the private insurance ranks. Um, and as they continue, that is the federal government continues to 
provide subsidies that get more people off of private insurance and into government insurance. Um, people might think that's a good thing, but at the end of the day, I don't know any top 10 percenter that is a clinician that's going to accept Medicare as a form of reimbursement for the services they provide. In fact, the top 10 or 10 percenters will not. So what does that mean? That means that there's going to be a bigger gap between those who have and those who don't and those who have access to the best and those who can't simply afford it because the best are not going to be reimbursed at the level that Medicare can pay. So I see Medicare continuing to ratchet down what it pays providers because it has to in order to financially sustain. I don't think the government can feed it enough to uh, pay providers what they believe they're worth, what they believe they're worth. And so to the extent we can use this transparency law to actually create competition so that we have like every other industry, we can measure quality and price and we see quality go up and price come down. But the problem is, and this is probably the, the context I should have given you at the front end of the answer. When you look at how the healthcare system was designed, it was designed and governed by four rulemaking entities, like structures. So you have the federal government, which is it insures half the people in our country. You've got big hospital systems and name any ma major metropolitan area. Uh, you know, if you look at Boston, it's partners, uh, or used to be called partners. Uh, you look at uh, uh, Chicago, it's Evanston Northwestern. You look at DC, it's the Inova healthcare system. I could go around the country and list out to you huge hospital systems that control 60% most markets of the supply of healthcare. Okay, I could also look at the, um, the em employment ranks in that particular metropolitan area. And do you know who the top employers are? Hospital systems. Okay, so if you're a politician, you're a governor of a state, are you gonna really squeeze on the provider community? Probably not, but when I look at the rate of inflation that they put through in their contracts that you and I are ultimately paying in the form of premiums, it's not sustainable. So you got hospitals, you got government, hospital systems, who's the third entity? Uh, you've got um, prescription benefit uh, companies, PBMs, right? And then ultimately uh, you have um, a combination of those factors coming together, right? The government, you have health insurers, you have prescription drug companies and the health insurers. The four of them created this construct you and I live in called healthcare. And I don't believe the people inside those constructs are evil or ill-intentioned. But I believe the system, because of the way it's been designed, which is to prevent you and I from understanding what's the quality of the care I'm receiving before I buy it, and then what's the price I'm paying for the care I'm receiving. Do you know that healthcare is the only thing as Americans we buy today that we tolerate not having access to quality and price before we make a buying decision? And it's the most important thing. So, Mark, uh there's quite a bit going on in this in this whole field and what i what i feel we need to do is uh get your expertise directly to a one-on-one -on -one, uh meeting with with the listeners how would they go about contacting you for more information so they could um email me at mark at borislow so it's m-a-r-k at B O R B as in boy O R I S as in Sam L O W dot com, or they can even uh, they can even text me on my cell phone. I put that out there for anybody, Alan. It's nine seven eight three zero two 
978-302-8642. Again, 978-302-8642. Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure having you with us on, on the show today. Thank you, Alan. I really appreciate it and appreciate uh, the nature of our relationship.